It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, coming to you courtesy of CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network, which has 24-7 live coverage of sports and costs you absolutely nothing, 100% free at all times, loaded with the things that I always look for in sports coverage, highlights, breaking news, fantasy advice, gambling picks, although I don't know that they're going to be as good as my brother Craig's, but still useful, and quality analysis. All those things are first rate on the CBS Sports HQ, and they're not something that you get very often from a lot of these big-time sports personalities, (laughs) Skip Bayless. And the best part is, not only is it completely free, 24-7, it doesn't even require a subscription or a login. You just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, and any other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for real sports fans, just like you get here on Play Like a Jet, at the great price of absolutely nothing. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. This is the Jets Patriots postgame report. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And I am joined by the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media. Mr. Matt Stipulkowski to talk about this 33 to nothing shellacking at MetLife Stadium. Hey, Matt. What's going on, sir? Uh, not too much, Scott. How are you? I'm better now that I've been rested. Just a little backstory because everybody knows that normally this podcast comes out within hours of the game ending. What happened last night was Matt didn't get out until 3 o'clock in the morning, and I had some technical issues that I've been trying to work on. I wasn't able to fix them by a decent hour, and by the time Matt got out, I was so exhausted, and I hadn't been able to finish fixing what I needed to fix that we decided that we were going to regroup and tape later on Tuesday instead. So that is why the podcast is late, but better late than never. At least we're showing up unlike the Jets, Matt. I got to tell you, this was embarrassing in every single way. Every single unit on the Jets was terrible yesterday. Every single unit. The defense, the offense, the special teams, the coaching, all terrible. So let's start from the beginning and the fact that on top of all of the stuff that was going on in the field, the Jets also have no idea how to run the parking lots at MetLife Stadium. It took me two hours to get from the exit to the stadium into a parking space and then into the stadium. And by the time I got into the stadium, by the way, it wasn't even like I had to wait on a long line to get in. It was just that all that parking nonsense had kept me out for so long. So that had a sour taste in my mouth to begin with. And then we go inside to the game 
And what happened was the Patriots just absolutely mauled the Jets from the very beginning. Matt, a 16-play, 16-play drive for a touchdown, which, by the (laughs) way, longest drive that any team has had for a touchdown so far in the 2019 season. It was done with complete ease. The Jets had no answers whatsoever on that first drive, and quite frankly, they had no answers the rest of the night. But specifically on this first drive, Tom Brady and the Patriots did whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, uh, it wasn't good. Definitely not ideal. Uh, the the Jets obviously just couldn't get off the field on third down, and that was a huge issue. The, the Patriots wound up going four for four on third down during that 16-play drive there, and that was a huge killer. Certainly seemed like uh, you know the Patriots made it a little bit of a point to kind of pick on Brian uh, Cashman in coverage a bit there with some of those short routes and uh, – I believe it was two of the third downs. Uh, you know, they kind of threw Cashman's direction and wound up picking him up. Uh, it happened again a, a couple drives later on the next touchdown drive on fourth down. Cashman in coverage kind of gets beat. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a methodical march for the Patriots. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they scored on all of their first four drives, which is obviously not a good sign for the defense, especially after giving up scores in their first three drives against the Patriots in week three. Uh, you know, they were happy with how things went on the whole in week three, aside from the fact that, you know, they didn't get off to a fast start, but they were proud of themselves for battling back. So you had to kind of think coming into this game that the Jets would, uh, you know, at least defensively make a, a real effort to come out of the gates strong. And instead, you know, they struggled just as much out of the gates. Uh, you know, things fell flat right off the, the beginning there. And uh, you know, by the time anyone really regrouped, the game was more than over about 20 minutes in. So, uh, you know, things got out of hand very, very fast in the Meadowlands Monday night. Matt, you said Brian Cashman. You meant Blake Cashman. I think you still got the Yankees on <laughs> your brain, an actual successful sports franchise. Although the way Blake Cashman was covering, you would have preferred Brian Cashman in a lot of the moments in this game. By the way, Ethan Greenberg, you seem like a nice guy. Got nothing against you. Don't know you personally. But that tweet you sent out before the game saying about how you couldn't wait to see the linebacker tandem of C.J. Mosley and Blake Cashman, well, that didn't hold up well. Old takes exposed, buddy, because Cashman has been a liability a lot more than Jets fans want to admit so far. That's okay. He's a fifth-round rookie. It's expected, but far too many people are acting like he's playing better than he actually is. And as far as C.J. Mosley, Matt, it was very easy to notice early on. He probably shouldn't have been playing in this game. He looked at about a quarter speed. Yeah, he was uh, definitely not moving well out there. He kind of copped to that a little bit after the game, you know, said that he was feeling the groin a little bit. Uh, I know Gase on his conference call today said that he didn't think that the Jets, you know, rushed him back and that they felt good about him and the way he was moving going into the game. But, uh, you know, he said that he's a bit sore today. Mosley's a bit sore today, that is. And uh, the Jets are kind of keeping an eye on things there. Uh, Gase kind of danced around the, the question a little bit when he was asked if he's worried about Mosley moving forward now, given what he saw. Um, but, you know, something to keep an eye on during practice this week to see if Mosley is still out there and, uh, you know, how things are going for him because certainly he did not look physically right last night. He was a shell of the player that we saw in week one, and, uh, you know, that did not help the Jets' cause defensively, uh, especially when paired up next to Cashman there, like you said, who – didn't have a very good night either. So uh, when the two guys in the middle are, are having a tough time, you know, a lot of times it ripples out from there, and it certainly did Monday. 
While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. So, Matt, the Patriots go on a 16-play opening drive and get a touchdown, as you said, multiple third-down conversions with ease. And then what do the Jets do? Well, Sam Darnold decides to give the ball right back to the Patriots with an interception. So that was the beginning of the litany of horrors that would become the evening that Sam Darnold had, and we will talk a little bit more about that as we go through the rest of this, because there are a lot of moments where Sam Darnold just looked absolutely dreadful. The Patriots then cash in with a field goal, credit to the Jets' defense for at least being able to limit them there. Then Sam Darnold and the Jets do nothing again, and the Patriots make them pay by going right back down the field and making it 17-0. I tweeted at that point that the good news is it could be worse. The bad news was it looked like it was about to get worse, and it did because at the half it was 24 to nothing. The Jets just could not get out of their own way. Credit to Le'Veon Bell who actually played well and we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's talk about Sam Darnold here, Matt. Last week he looked like the best young quarterback in football. Every single skill that he has was on display. All the things that we saw at USC, all the things that we saw at the end of last season, all of the things that made us so giddy watching him and thinking about what he was going to do in the future with the New York Jets. We saw it all against the Cowboys. Well, if that was a happy dream, Matt, this was an unpleasant nightmare because we saw all the negatives. We saw the terrible footwork. We saw him throwing off his back foot. We saw him throwing off balance. We saw him not making reads properly. We saw him in his own words, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, quote unquote, seeing ghosts. He was a detriment all night for the New York Jets. This was every Jets fan's nightmare. I'm sure this was Adam Gase's nightmare. In fact, there was an exchange between Gase 
and Darnold, right before Darnold threw one of his interceptions where he said, come on, we can do this. Go back out there. We're going to get the ball in the second half. You know what to do. And then Darnold went right out and threw another interception. So for a 22-year-old quarterback, I know that this is certainly not the end of the story, but this felt like one of those performances that could absolutely shake a guy for a significant period of time. We're going to see if Sam Darnold can let it roll off of his shoulders, but boy, oh boy, was this ugly. Yeah, like you said, I mean, uh, we saw the highest of highs last week and the lowest of lows for Darnold this week. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. He's been, uh, when you kind of step back and look at things, I mean, he's been a bit inconsistent throughout his career. And maybe that's just what you expect from a young quarterback, uh, you know, a guy that's 16 games into his NFL career. He's, you know, a little more than a season into his career. You're going to expect some inconsistencies, obviously. And, and this was clearly extreme, you know, going from, you know, the, the highest peak to the lowest valley in back-to-back weeks. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was brutal. And, you know, any and all progress and good vibes that the Jets had to be feeling after that Cowboys victory kind of vanished when you saw everything collapse so quickly against uh, the Patriots Monday night. I mean, like you said, could be a, a tricky one for Donald to recover from a bit there. You know, the good news is I do think that he kind of has the demeanor of, uh, you know, he, he's a really – even keeled guy, pretty steady. Um, so if anyone is uh, equipped to kind of deal with this kind of thing, I would think it's Sam. But, uh, you know, it's certainly going to be a test of a 22-year-old's maturity and his ability to kind of stay level because uh, this was as bad as it can get, more or less. I mean, a 3.6 passer rating is, is absolutely brutal. He was worse than Luke Falk was against the Patriots. Imagine that. Uh, yeah, right. And it's not even close to an exaggeration to say that either. I mean, it was really, really problematic. And it was, you know, a lot of basic stuff that was kind of going wrong for Sam Darnold. By the time he was throwing that final interception in the end zone there, I mean, you could see that he was just feeling pressure that wasn't even necessarily there. He was so off kilter. He wasn't setting his feet at all. Like you said, he was just kind of uh, going out there and completely improvising and, you know, just looked completely discombobulated and, uh, he was thrown by, you know, some of the Patriots pressure, especially early on. It, it just got in his head and he never recovered from there. What I had said earlier in the week is that while Sam Darnold has showed an ability to make perfect throws when his feet aren't set, which is rare and it's a great trait to be able to have, it's not something you want to make a habit of because even though you can do it, it also increases the odds that you're going to make an errant throw. And we saw the ramifications of that against the Patriots on Monday night. I have to say, though, Matt, looking back at this now, and we're going to continue with the game and talk about the different players and everything else, but you could see the warning signs heading into this. Everybody was super optimistic. There were a lot of people that thought that the Jets could win. I thought that they might at least be competitive, especially if Darnold was going to be able to be good. But I think this was one of those cases where we've all had that friend who's dating somebody who a lot of people don't like from the outside looking in. They see all the warning signs, but your friend is so in love that he doesn't want to see it. So whatever those warning signs are, maybe she's mean to animals or maybe she's rude to his mother or maybe she's not the nicest to his friends. He doesn't see them because he's got tunnel vision. He's just focused on how much he likes her. Well, that's kind of what I think happened with Jets fans going into this game. 
We all got so taken in by how well Sam Darnold played last week that we forgot to realize that the Cowboys are the 25th best defense in the NFL and the Patriots are the number one defense and in fact are on a historical pace. They've dominated everybody. We looked at how they were able to get pressure on Dak Prescott and how they were able to make his life uncomfortable without taking the time to remember that his two starting tackles weren't playing and that wasn't going to be the case against Tom Brady. Plus, as much as I think Dak Prescott's a solid NFL quarterback, there's a difference between solid and Tom Brady. We all talked ourselves into the fact that Brady was missing so many of his weapons without thinking about the fact that Brady is the master of finding ways to get things done. McDaniel's also great at making adjustments. We talked ourselves into Greg Williams being able to account for some of the defense's weaknesses as he had in a couple of games prior, including last week against the Cowboys, without remembering that the Cowboys started to really gash and beat up the Jets' defense toward the end of that game, and if they had had that same strategy earlier on, they might have had better results. We talked ourselves into the offensive line not being as important with Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold can move around without thinking about the fact that Bill Belichick is the master, and on top of that defense being as good as it is, he was going to find a way to make Sam Darnold incredibly uncomfortable, even if Darnold can move in and out of the pocket in a way that Luke Falk couldn't, and he was going to make the weakness that was that offensive line look like a glaring weakness, the type of glaring weakness it didn't necessarily look like on film against the Cowboys last week. So Matt, I think, as I said, this is a case of a lot of Jets fans, myself included and many others, seeing what they wanted to see, ignoring the warning signs, and then when this all happened, once you look at it now with clear eyes, you say, oh yeah, this all makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think there's some degree of that, but I I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I was I I don't think that picking the Jets to win this game was a particularly smart move mm-hmm. by anyone who did it. Um, but I think it was reasonable to at least think that they could be competitive. I I believe I picked them to lose by ten. I, I don't think that somewhere around that number was unrealistic. If the Jets had you know shown up, if they had turned in a real performance, if they had you know battled if things had gone well for them instead of just completely failing on every level i think you know a competitive showing is certainly you know well within the range of possibilities for the jets i think if these teams played each other every week you would certainly hope that the jets would not just go out there and get blown out every single time it might happen sometimes it obviously does happen sometimes we've already seen it twice but uh you know this was just a failing on every single level for the jets they did not show up the defense was slow to start the offense was non-existent the offensive line was a big reason for that sam darnold's lack of field vision and uh just you know seeming skittishness got the best of him uh the special teams got in on the fun late on when braxton barrios coughed up that punt it was just you know on every level every facet of the game the jets fell apart and that's why the score obviously got as out uh as outsized as it did but uh, you know, I don't think it's completely fair to say that this was, uh, you know, destined to happen in hindsight. The Jets certainly could have and should have kept this game competitive if they had, you know, turned in a valiant effort. But uh, that is just not what happened on Monday night. 
For sure, Matt, and I wasn't saying that to absolve the Jets here. Clearly, there's a reason why a lot of people, including my brother Craig, were putting money on the Jets over at mybookie.ag. That one didn't work out for him. However, all the rest of his picks came in, so my brother did well again with his picks. And if you would have listened to the rest of them, not the Jets game, though, this week, all the rest of his picks, you would have made some money and you would have been able to double your first deposit because if you go over to mybookie.ag and use the promo code OVERTIME, they will match your first deposit. You can bet on the Jets game. You can bet on all the rest of the games around the league. You can bet on props too, including whether or not Stefan Gilmore was going to limit Robbie Anderson to under 50 yards. Could have made a few bucks betting on that yesterday, that's for sure. Head over there right now, mybookie.ag, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get your first deposit doubled. My bookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. But when it comes to this game, Matt, I'm not saying that there weren't reasons for the Jets and their fans to expect them to be competitive. I'm saying this more as everybody was looking at best case scenario. Oh, CJ Mosley's back. Sam Darnold was great last week. The offensive line was a little bit better. They got pressure on the quarterback. I'm simply saying that everybody took for granted that the Jets were going to be able to do all of that stuff again against the New England Patriots. And in reality, it wasn't going to work out that way because life doesn't always work out in terms of the best case scenario. In fact, oftentimes it does not, like it hasn't for the entire season for Tremaine Johnson. And I have to say this, Matt, all due respect to whoever's running the Jets' social media account, I have nothing against you. I know you're just doing your job. But when Tremaine Johnson had that interception where the ball literally was placed into his hands because of Leonard Williams, and it gets tweeted out, true with his first pick of the year, hashtag NE versus NYJ, hashtag take flight, I'm sorry, but no. I'm not here for the Tremaine Johnson praise, Matt. Tremaine Johnson was absolutely abysmal again yesterday. I'm not sure what the status of Nate Hairston is. At this point, I don't even care. There's got to be somebody else. There could be somebody laying on a couch right now. Maybe somebody who's ordering a Whopper Burger King. I don't know. Somebody somewhere is better at covering receivers than Tremaine Johnson because this was embarrassing again. He was getting killed all night long the same way that he has the entire season. And by the way, he got a penalty that was a reprieve because if he hadn't held the guy, it would have been a 70-yard touchdown. And that was one of his better plays. When you look at Tremaine Johnson and you say one of the best plays he made all night was having the presence of mind to hold a guy to get a 15-yard penalty instead of a 70-yard touchdown, I think that tells you all you need to know. I have to imagine that once Nate Harrison is ready, that Greg Williams is seeing what we're seeing. But I just can't take this anymore, Matt. I don't have anything against Tremaine Johnson as a person. I don't know him. But as a football player, I can't stand him. I don't want to look at him. And as far as I'm concerned, he should sit on the bench until the end of the season when they can cut him, save $3 million, and he can go on his way and get torched for some other team. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to think that this Tremaine Johnson signing for the Jets is not going to pan out. <laughs> uh, it, it, has, it has not been good, man. It, it was bad last year you know obviously underwhelming and it's only gotten worse this year it's truly mystifying it seems like every time someone runs a a crossing route against him he just it's like the first time he's ever seen that kind of voodoo magic before and he doesn't know what to do Uh, that is bizarre to me he seems completely unable to cope with those uh you know on that one touchdown grab he just got completely turned around he gave a big cushion and then he coughed it up and then he his feet got all sorts of weird and he got turned around and then 
somehow he kind of still wound up like near Dorset and, and didn't make the play. It was just bizarre all the way around. And uh, yeah, he just, he doesn't seem to have any sort of coherent plan or, you know, uh, philosophy or there, there's no execution out there at all. Obviously it's, it is not good for Tremaine Johnson and, uh, you know, it's it's not a whole lot better for Daryl Roberts across the field either. But uh, you know, given the, the contract that Tremaine Johnson is playing on and all of that, and you know, the hype surrounding him when he got signed, his his errors are even more glaring. And Monday night was yet another reminder of the fact that that deal has become a total bust and an albatross for the Jets. I thought Bart Scott said it well on SNY after the game, talking about Tremaine Johnson. He said, "Look, you're stealing, bro." You should just take the money that the Jets are paying you and donate it to a charity. And then contrasting Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, he said, at least Daryl Roberts is trying. He may be getting beat, but at least he's giving it an effort. Doesn't seem like Tremaine Johnson is even doing that. It's embarrassing, and I know that there's only so much that Joe Douglas can do right now, and the Jets are just going to have to ride it out and hope that Nate Hairston comes back and can be a little less embarrassing. But man, he's got some work to do in the offseason with that secondary. I want to talk about the offensive line now, Matt. Bart Scott is a former player that often has some great insight, and so is Damian Woody. And he made a comment on Twitter, do these guys even practice? The offensive line looked all out of sorts. They were getting destroyed all night. And the worst part is, it's not even like the Patriots were sending tons of blitzes or disguising anything. All they were really doing was having free rushers get in and nail Sam Darnold. The offensive line couldn't figure out what to do. There were no adjustments, no shifts, nothing. I think it's about time we have a conversation about Frank Pollock. And by the way, Ryan Khalil. You can go to the bench too, buddy. In fact, kind of wish you had never come off the couch at this point. In addition to poor play, a terrible snap that led to a safety. And by the way, the Jets are lucky about that because it very easily could have been another Patriots touchdown. Just an absolute mess for this offensive line. And they played a big part in what we're going to talk about in a bit. Sam Darnold, quote-unquote, seeing ghosts. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that safety, uh, Sam Darnold's best play of the night was probably batting that ball out of the back of the end zone. So <laughs> that is, uh, you know, a signal of how things went for him. And, you know, that's, that's not what you want. Uh, but yeah, the offensive line was bad. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to give them the, the excuse a little bit of, you know, Chuma Doga had to move over to left tackle, which puts Shell back in the lineup. And then you lose Khalil and Winters gets hurt. But, you know, you can't use that as an excuse when the offensive line has kind of looked this shoddy all along. You know what I mean? Yes, they were not helped by the music musical chairs going on Monday night. But, uh, you know, when of what, six games now, five of them, the Jets offensive line has looked quite bad. And the other one, they looked OK against the Cowboys, just mostly because Sam Darnold covered up some of their flaws. So. Uh, it's been a consistent theme at this point. This offensive line looks like it's irreparably broken. I remember during the bye, I spoke with Damian Woody for a story, and uh, he, at one point during our interview, just said, you know, this might just be what the Jets are. This might be how it goes for the season until they're able to kind of tinker with things in the offseason and try to pull in more talent. And, you know, he said, this is what happens when you don't draft anyone up high for 13 years. You wind up paying the piper. And uh, with each passing week, it certainly looks like that. Uh, that doesn't completely absolve 
the coaching staff, obviously, they have to try to do better and get more out of the guys that they have right now because obviously this is not working. But uh, for what it's worth, Gase was asked in the press conference after the game if he would consider any sort of coaching shakeups, and he said no, it's week seven. So uh, for those of you that are breaking out the, the torches and pitchforks for Frank Pollock, you're going to have to wait at least a while longer. That doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon here. But uh, certainly the, the Jets' offensive line is, is once again on notice after uh, you know sullying their decent effort from week six against the Cowboys. I'll give Chuma Adoga a little bit of a pass because he's a rookie who was supposed to be a developmental project and got forced into the lineup because of ineptness elsewhere and injuries too. And so it was only his third start, and I'm willing to see how he progresses the rest of the season and see what he does perhaps even in training camp in the preseason next year. Alex Lewis has been pretty good. He's been the only good run blocker, and we're going to get to Le'Veon Bell in a second and how it's a miracle that he was able to do what he did against the Patriots because Alex Lewis was the only one that looked like he even knew how to run block. Brandon Shell, it's about time that Jets fans come to grips with the fact that he's terrible. He's always been terrible. People kept trying to turn him into some draft day gem of Mike McCagnin's. He's a bad offensive lineman, and I will be happy when he's out of here. So good for Alex Lewis for continuing to look like somebody that might be able to stay on this offensive line next year. Chumidoga gets a pass for the rest of those guys. Ugh, just a dreadful performance. And I want to talk about Le'Veon Bell now because I brought this up. He had a pretty good game, 15 carries for 70 yards. It was a quiet day for him because the Jets were getting thrashed, so who's talking about Le'Veon Bell? But he was finding room to run in places that he shouldn't have been finding room to run. The offensive line was doing him absolutely no favor. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. And once again, he showed us why he's an elite player. The way things are going, he's going to have statistically the worst season of his career, but I would argue this is one of the best seasons of his career when you consider the fact that he's making all of this happen pretty much by himself. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty incredible that he averaged 4.7 yards per carry yesterday. You know, that's not exactly a mind-blowing number by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, given what he was dealing with, that's pretty impressive. Uh, You know, some very small bright sides here. 70 yards is his season high. He broke off a 19-yard run at one point. That's his longest run of the season. Before that, it had been 13. So uh, very, very, very small bright sides there. But, yeah, I mean, Bell has been impressive all year long. It seems like after every game, we kind of have this same conversation where you go, well, he uh, got every drop out of that that he could could have. He, you know, he got every yard he could have. He fought for everything and just didn't have any help in front of him. Uh, this was another perfect example, probably the best one yet, obviously, based on the numbers. I mean, honestly, I can't believe that he averaged 4.7 yards per carry up until this game. The best he had, uh, had you know, he had tallied was the last week against the Cowboys, 3.57. So more uh, a full yard per carry more this week uh, and not exactly working with better blocking. So uh, he is just kind of finding any little crease, crease and wiggling through and he's making the first guy miss and 
uh, just fighting through contact. And uh, Le'Veon Bell has been, you know, the one shining light for the Jets so far. The the only problem is that they seem to kind of squander him week by week. And if you're a Jets fan, that has to be unbelievably frustrating to watch, knowing what this guy could be capable of if he actually uh, had some help in front of him. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I want to talk about a lack of adjustments here, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Matt. We talked about how the Patriots weren't blitzing. They were just having free rushers get in, and so no adjustments made by Frank Pollock in the offensive line. Adam Gase's strategy seemed to be to try to find Demarius Thomas early and often, and as your colleague Connor Hughes tweeted out, this isn't 2010 anymore. He's a nice third receiver that you can throw the ball to a couple times a game, but it looked like he was the focal point of this offense, and I know that you had a situation where Stephon Gilmore was covering Robbie Anderson, and once again, this should be a surprise to nobody, but Gilmore is A, the best cornerback in the league, and B, much bigger and stronger, so Robbie Anderson can't do anything against him. That happened again. Robbie Anderson had one catch for 10 yards. I get he's not going to be a huge factor, but you've got to find a way to get other guys open and put the ball in other players' hands. Don't get me wrong, this doesn't absolve Sam Darnold, who played terribly, but you've got to do everything you can to make this kid's life as easy as possible, and the fact that the offensive line wasn't able to do anything to adjust to what the Patriots were doing, the fact that Adam Gase wasn't able to adjust to the cover zero, Ray Lucas said it on the postgame, and I was laughing because it was the same thing that was occurring to me sitting in the stands. Essentially, the Patriots were saying, hey, we're going to go one-on-one with you, try and do something, and the Jets couldn't all night. Adam Gase is somebody that was sold as an offensive guru, and you had to cut him slack because he was working with Luke Falk and a terrible offensive line combined. Last week, we saw, at least with Darnold, this offense could look competent at times, but again, you were going up against the 25th-ranked defense. This time against the number one overall defense, I understand that it's a Herculean task, but you got to do better than that. This was a terrible performance by Adam Gase. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I mean, you said you got to do better than that. Did you, did you mean that you have to do better than zero offensive points mm-hmm. in two games against the Patriots? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's not a good stat for Adam Gase. You know, I guess you can kind of write off the one game, like you said, with Luke Falk in the offensive line, but... Uh, you know, he had 120 minutes to try to scheme something up and put some sort of points on the board against the Patriots this season and came up with a goose egg. So uh, that is obviously really, really, really bad, really disappointing. Um, certainly there's plenty of failures to go around. We, we've touched on some of the things Donald did wrong. The offensive line did wrong. There's talent efficiencies that aren't helping. You, you mentioned, I mean, Robbie Anderson was basically eliminated from this game by Stefan Gilmore. Uh, which doesn't make things easy on the Jets' offense because when Anderson gets eliminated, you are pretty quickly down to very few uh, options in the passing game because uh, it's basically Jamison Crowder and Demarius Thomas after that. And like you said, not 2010. So Demarius Thomas is, uh, you know, he, he proved against the Cowboys that he can still have some nice games, but uh, he's probably not the kind of guy that's going to carry an offense anymore. Uh, so, you know, you're asking a lot from him, and especially with Chris Herndon still out, you know, 
the Jets pretty quickly start running out of perimeter weapons there. Some guys in the passing game that can get it done. And when the running game isn't working either, uh, then certainly it's even harder to throw the ball. So uh, all of these things kind of feed into one another. But, uh, you know, the fact that they weren't able to at least shake something up a little bit, the case wasn't able to find some sort of wrinkle, some sort of new approach, uh, you know, anything really just to, to break the gridlock and, and try something new, get something accomplished, uh, is pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that the Patriots really weren't hiding anything. Gase admitted that too. I mean, he said they don't disguise it. They show you exactly what they're doing. And, uh, you know, the, the Patriots were tipping their hand all night long and the, the Jets still couldn't beat it. Reminds me of that scene in Blue Chips where Pete Bell played by Nick Nolte, is in the locker room firing up his team before the game. And he says, I'll go right over there right now and I'll give them our playbook and I'll tell them what each play means because it's not about the place, it's about how you execute. And that's what the Patriots do. They go out and they execute. And they did that all night against the Jets. Out-executed at every turn. We talked about how bad the defense was. We talked about how bad the offense was. We talked about the special teams where Braxton Berrios managed to cough up a punt. We talked about how bad the coaching was where it just seemed like they had no idea what they were doing all night long. And Sam Darnold now, unfortunately, has become a meme. He's become a laughing stock, as have the Jets all the way across the country because of the fact that this was their second horrible showing, although this was even worse, if you can believe it, than that game against the Browns. So now everybody talking about seeing ghosts because Sam Darnold was mic'd up during this game, and at one point he said, I'm seeing ghosts out there. Now what that means, in case you're unfamiliar, is that he was feeling pressure that may or may not have been there He was seeing guys that he thought were coming to get him, whether there was anybody there or not, because he was so spooked from getting smashed all day by the Patriots that it got to the point where he was seeing ghosts, meaning seeing guys that may or may not have even been there at a certain point. The Jets apparently all upset now, and I'm going to let you talk about this, Matt, because I know Adam Gase had something to say about this, that this was actually aired on television. As I like to say all the time, Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, buy the ticket, take the ride. If you are afraid of what your second-year quarterback might say while he's mic'd up, don't let him be mic'd up. But once he is, they're in the television business, and they're going to use the best quote of the night because that is what their job is. So for the Jets to be upset about this just seems silly to me. If you want to restrict access in terms of being mic'd up later on, that's up to you. I think there's an argument that could be had about whether or not you should do it or shouldn't do it. That's fine. I personally don't think it's a big deal. I think it's something that you only complain about when you're getting killed like that and your quarterback makes a comment like that because it just adds insult to injury. But at least you could have that discussion. But once you consented to having him mic'd up, whatever happened, happened. And now Sam Darnold and the Jets are going to be a meme and a bit of a laughing stock for a while. And they're just going to have to swallow that pill. Right. And, uh, you know, I'll probably write something about this later on for NJ.com. So, you know, keep your eyes out and stay tuned for a piece that's probably coming on this front. But uh, like you said, I mean, first of all, Sam Darnold knew he was mic'd. So, uh, he went into this eyes wide open and he made that comment and he had to at least know that there was, uh, you know, some chance that that could end up on the air, even if he wasn't actively thinking about that while the game is going on in the moment, obviously. Um, but more than that, uh, you know, and you mentioned you know, the Jets may be restricting access and Adam Case did mention on his conference call with reporters today that that's something that is 
going to consider moving forward that they you know, felt uh, pretty burned by the fact that that quote ended up on air last night. And, uh, one of Gase's quotes was, I don't know how we can allow our franchise quarterback to put out there like that, uh, you know, alluding to the fact that the Jets should, uh, you know, decline some chances to get Mike up in the future here. Um, but personally, <laughs> I, uh, I, I just don't see it from the Jets' perspective here, I guess, because, you know, the way I look at this is, A, like I said, Sam Darnold knew he was mic'd up and he said it. So, there, you know, a fair game, I think, for ESPN, NFL Films, I suppose, is, uh, from my understanding, kind of the gatekeeper here. They're the ones that decide what can and can't be aired and what winds up making it to TV. So uh, I guess the, the Jets' gripe here is really with NFL Films mostly. But, uh, you know, Darnold knew he was mic'd, and let's be honest, these guys, yes, it's football, but these guys are in the entertainment business. That's what this is all about. And the most entertaining thing that the Jets did yesterday, the most interesting thing that happened, were those few words from Sam Darnold on the sideline, at least in my perspective. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't proprietary information. This was an NFL film, ESPN, uh, you know, handing people the Jets play calls and uh, bringing them inside the huddle and, and giving other teams information that could wind up helping them down the line because now they know things that the Jets can't afford for other people to know. It's nothing like that. Uh, the whole point of making players up is to kind of bring fans uh, inside the minds of these players a little bit, kind of give them a glimpse of what happens on the sidelines. And that's exactly what this was. Anyone that was watching the game last night could see that Sam Donald was struggling with exactly what he was talking about, that he was feeling phantom pressure, that he wasn't seeing the field well. It was obvious. And this was just Sam Donald confirming that while he was on the sideline. And yes, I get it. People wanted making jokes and the Jets clearly, I'm sure did not take kindly the fact that they wanted being punchline, but Let's be honest, them becoming a punchline had a lot more to do with what the final score was and what the stats were than Sam Darnold saying this line on the sideline. This was simply an interesting quote that got, you know, taken and run with because it matched up with how horribly things were going on the field. So, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, my take on it is this is the entertainment business. The most entertaining thing that happened last night was Sam Darnold being mic'd up. It got us this moment. That's good. You want interesting moments in football games. That's the whole point of micing guys up. If if ESPN and NFL Films can't use interesting stuff, what is the point of having guys mic'd up? So, uh, you know, I, I just don't understand, I guess, from the Jets' perspective. I get that they don't want to be a laughing stock, but, um, you know, my, my take on it is the whole point of this thing is to be an entertainment product, to intrigue fans. And, uh, you know, the most interesting thing the Jets did last night was this Sam Donald quote. I want to talk about Leonard Williams before we talk about the press conference and what Gase and the players had to say afterwards, because this is another example of people picking on everybody and anybody because they were upset. There were a lot of people saying, oh, Leonard Williams, here's invisible again. No stats, no sacks. Big deal. Leonard Williams forced an intentional grounding penalty, which, by the way, is just as good as a sack. And he also forced Tom Brady to throw that interception that I talked about earlier with Tremaine Johnson. Once again, I know that Leonard Williams isn't showing up gaudy numbers in the stat sheet, and I know that he got off to a disappointing start this season, but this is another reason why he's more valuable than a lot of Jets fans want to acknowledge and why Adam Schefter said that when he was talking about Leonard Williams potentially being available in a trade. I think that this game 
continue to help his stock as far as what the Jets might be able to get for him if they do trade him. But I thought it was a good game for Leonard Williams, one of the few on this team in any phase of the game who actually played fairly well. Yeah, it, it was a solid night for Leo for sure. And uh, yeah, I do think uh, Jets fans, at least based on the the reaction that I often see you know, on my Twitter feed and everything like that, kind of dismiss Leo as a, a bad player. And I, I think that's unfair he might be disappointing and underwhelming given his draft status but uh you know he's a solid player he's an above average player for his position uh, i would think uh based on kind of what he's done through these few years in new york and uh you know maybe he hasn't compiled the sack numbers that you would want maybe he hasn't put up the you know the gaudy plays and gaudy stats like you said that jets fans are looking for but uh he's still a, a solid player uh one that has some value here and uh, he certainly didn't hurt himself against the Patriots on Monday night. So uh, if the Jets do indeed you know, decide that they want to be sellers at the trade deadline here, Leonard is obviously you know, the, the top guy on the list of pieces that they could look to, to sell off. What I've always said about Leonard Williams is that he's played more like a mid to late first round pick than somebody who is picked in the top six. You expect elite production from somebody who's picked there. So I totally understand why Jets fans have been disappointed with Leonard Williams. I'm certainly disappointed to a degree, but I also think that he's a lot better than people give him credit for. There are people that have suggested that he's played no better than a typical mid round pick. And I don't think that's true. And I think this game was another illustration of that. Now, Matt, I have to ask you about something. Your buddy Connor Hughes, who you were sitting in the press box with, and you guys had the privilege of sitting in the press box, unlike those of us who chose to buy tickets for this game, which turned out to be a bit of a dud, but there are a ton of great events and sporting events, too. Hopefully, some of this will include Jets games down the line that you're going to want to make sure you don't miss out on and you get great tickets for. So that's why you should head over to Vivid Seats. If you use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout, you'll get up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. Plus, you'll automatically get enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program. Don't miss out on your favorite concerts, arena events, or sporting events. Use the promo code OVERTIME when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and you'll get up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase. But that was not an option for you, Connor, Chris, all the rest in the press box because, of course, the Jets invite you guys as guests of the team to cover what's going on. And Connor tweeted out that at halftime, which, by the way, would have been around 10 p.m., he was going to be having pretzels with cheese sauce and soup. He then posted a picture of this, said the pretzel had no salt, the cheese looked gross, and the soup looked old, and he went ahead and ate it anyway, and then complained that his stomach was doing cartwheels. So I must ask this. Was Connor trying to match the Jets' level of ineptitude? <laughs> uh, Connor is uh, an interesting guy. We'll put it that way. He uh, <laughs> takes his press box food power rankings thing he does on Twitter way too seriously, clearly, that he was willing to put his body through that turmoil last night. I had a couple of those pretzels. I steered clear of the cheese sauce. I steered clear of the uh, soup as well. I just had some of those pretzels with a little bit of mustard, and they were not very good, but at least they didn't make me feel like death. So, you know, there was a slight bright side there, I suppose. Another one of the silver linings from last night. But, yeah, uh, not one of Connor's finer decisions last night, I don't think. This game went so poorly, and I was tweeting out snarky tweets because that's what you do when a game like this goes poorly. And somehow, my tweets caught the attention of some woman who is trying to get 10,000 retweets 
for her sister to be convinced to go with her to a 21 Pilots concert. I have no idea how I ended up getting targeted for this, but I did laugh because typically people will say, I need 10,000 retweets to get a lifetime of free nuggets or something much more benevolent. Like if I get 10,000 retweets, somebody's going to donate $100,000 to a children's hospital. Here I'm getting tweeted at during a Jets game from somebody who is looking to have me help her get a bunch of retweets to convince her sister to attend a concert with her. I would say, Matt, and I could be wrong, that if somebody needs to see 10,000 retweets in order to be convinced to go to a concert, they probably aren't that into the concert. I also would love to know how I was randomly targeted because I don't follow this person. This person doesn't follow me. And she doesn't appear to be a Jets fan, so I have no idea why I was picked for this. In fact, I actually responded and said, oh, I'm getting tweets from a bot now. And she wrote back, I'm not a bot. I really need your help. And then I wrote, what do you need my help with? Trying to convince your sister to go to a concert she clearly doesn't want to go to. And she said, oh, well, my sister wants to go. She's just being stubborn. Again, not sure how this becomes something that I'm involved in. But I did find it funny that the game was going that poorly that this actually captured my attention for a couple of minutes. Because last week... I never would have even seen this tweet. <laughs> yeah, that is remarkably random. And uh, maybe this is a, a shot. Jets fans should probably be required to get 10,000 retweets before they head to the Meadowlands or something like that. Maybe it'll save some people some misery for a little while. 10,000 retweets for me to actually watch the next Jets game. <laughs> I think that's about where we're at right now, Matt, sadly. By the way, 21 pilots don't know anything about them. You know anything? Are they any good? Absolutely no idea. Okay, well, then neither one of us can help this woman. And if her sister is saying she needs to see 10,000 retweets, then I have to tell you, she probably doesn't really want to go that badly. So, Matt, now that we're done recapping this game and talking about this really weird tweet that I got sent my way during the game, let's talk about what the players and Adam Gase had to say afterwards. First, we'll talk about Gase's comments right after the game, and then you can talk about what he said during the conference call. Talk to me about what the coach said to the press, both after the game and earlier today during the conference call. Yeah, so, I mean, yesterday after the game, Adam, for the most part, just uh, leaned in and, you know, he was pretty blunt about the fact that that was brutal showing and that the Jets have to be better and uh, most of the party lines that you would expect after a game like that. And, uh, you know, just admitted that things went terribly on all sides of the ball, so... Uh, there was that, and then uh, today, I mean, my biggest takeaway, as I mentioned, was the whole uh, ghost comment and the Jets being unhappy with that today. Um, that was kind of the, the most notable thing that popped up the page with me and uh, from the Gase interview today. But uh, he did also kind of run through some injury updates, the most notable one being C.J. Mosley and the fact that the Jets are going to kind of have to keep an eye on him the next couple of days here, that he was a bit sore this morning waking up. Uh, I know Sam Darnold had a toenail removed, so that's pretty gross. Um, Ryan Khalil, day-to-day with uh, an elbow and shoulder injury. Chris Herndon and Kelvin Beecham uh, making progress, so a uh, chance those guys could get on the field this week. I believe Henry Anderson, he said, is expected to uh, practice in a limited capacity, if I remember correctly, as well. So uh, just some injury updates there from Gase today. Um, and then a lot of talk, obviously, about Sam Darnold and a lot of questions about kind of how he helps Sam get past this game and move on from it. And, you know, uh, it wasn't anything groundbreaking Gase, but he was basically just saying that the Jets and, you know, Gase and Darnold, they're going to have to sit down watch this film and uh, just try to learn what they can from it, take those lessons moving forward and then 
forget about everything else and try to shake these bad feelings as best they can. So, um, you know, basically what you would expect from Gase in that regard, but, um, you know, certainly exactly what the Jets need to do. They got to learn from this quick and then turn the page and, and try to put these bad feelings in the, in the rear view, because obviously dwelling on them is probably not going to help anyone. What did we hear from the players, Matt? So uh, we got some players in the locker room last night after the game, and Jamal Adams was probably the, the most animated player that I had a chance to speak with. And, uh, you know, he, bas- he, he did say that uh, it was embarrassing that the Jets didn't show up, uh, you know, that they you know, weren't in this game from the start. Uh, he said kind of repeatedly that he just wants to win. Uh, I know when he kept saying that, I asked him uh, point blank, do you believe you can still win here? And he quickly and emphatically said yes. So uh, at least there's that from, you know, any Jets fans that might've been a little concerned that Jamal is wearing thin and, and kind of, you know, having his patience tested here. He is uh, still adamant that, you know, this is kind of where he wants to be and he believes he can have success here. So there's that. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, Leonard Williams touched a bit about the, the slow start and just the fact that he didn't have any answers for why the defense, both of these games against the Patriots has come out so flat. Uh, uh, Sam Darnold uh, expanded a little bit on the ghosts thing when it was brought up to him in the locker room afterwards, just saying, you know, that he, he wasn't seeing the field good enough. And, uh, you know, I asked him, because last week after the Cowboys game, the thing that he raved about most uh, in his comeback was his field vision and how you know well he was surveying things. And I kind of asked him how he's able to square those two things being so different week to week. And uh, basically his answer was, you know, that's how it goes. It's the NFL and sometimes week to week, it just really varies. You know, sometimes you're going to come out and have a really good week. Other times you're going to come out and have a really poor showing. And, uh, you know, this was, back half of that this was the, the downside of that um so Darnold obviously was um a, a bit you know hat in hand after the game but he also kind of uh was a bit defiant as well I suppose uh not entirely sure if that's the, the word I would use to describe it but it's the one that's coming to mind right now where uh he said basically that he'll be fine he's going to watch the film he's going to take you know the 24 hours to reflect on this game and then he's going to put it behind him and that the outside noise won't bother him. So like I was saying before, if there's a, you know, if there's a player on this team that kind of has the mental makeup and the mindset to overcome a a performance like this, it's probably Sam just because of how level headed he is, but that's certainly going to get put to the test this week. uh, You know, especially with a short week as the jets have to get ready for a road trip and go, going to face the Jaguars here. And that, as they say, is a wrap which is good because this is a tough game to watch, but it is important to recap it and go through all the things that went wrong and the very few that went right because that's how you get perspective and that's how you see what the Jets can do to improve going forward. They're going to need to have a much better effort this coming Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road against Magnum Minshew. And if you don't know why I'm calling him Magnum Minshew, Google a picture of Jaguars quarterback Gardner Minshew, and then Google a picture of Tom Selleck as Magnum PI, and you'll know exactly why I'm saying what I'm saying. But the Jets are going to have to do a lot better, and Darnold specifically a lot better against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville this coming Sunday. Matt, as always, thanks so much for hopping on. Really appreciate it. We will talk again after the Jets and Jaguars commence in Jacksonville this Sunday, and I have a feeling 
win or lose, being on the road in sunny Jacksonville, you will at least have nice weather to fall back on. Although I will say, the weather yesterday for the game was very nice, so that was another one of those things that was positive that we could take away from it. One of the few silver linings, but at least you'll get to be in Florida this Sunday. Let's hope the Jets have a better performance. You've got a lot up right now at NJ.com slash Jets, and you're going to have a lot more up. What can people expect to read when they head over there? Yeah, so uh, obviously some kind of quick takeaways that went up right after the game yesterday. Uh, a look at kind of, you know, the major players in yesterday's failure as well, kind of who's most to blame for this one. Uh, Sam Darnold, yesterday was his 16th game, so kind of in a way his first full NFL season. So kind of dove into some of his numbers and, and took a look at his performance through these first 16 games here and, uh, you know, what it means for him moving forward as well. Uh, also took a look uh, at, his struggles with the Patriots pass rush. And uh, like I said, might have some more later on this whole, uh, you know, ghosts comment and controversy with the Jets being unhappy with the mic'd up scenario as well. So uh, just kind of keep an eye out over at NJ.com slash Jets and uh, on Twitter as well. It's M underscore Stipulkowski, S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. Go ahead and follow Matt on Twitter at M underscore Stipulkowski, S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. Read his great work over at NJ.com slash Jets. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.